Amen. Good morning, church. How great is it to be together to worship and to celebrate child dedications this morning? It's so good to see so many of you here. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Sarah. I'm the associate pastor here at Kerry Church, um, and it's my absolute honor and privilege to bring you God's word today. Uh, many of you have heard me preach before. You know that I love participation. Um, sometimes I get you to raise your hands to questions. Last time I preached, I got you to clap your hands to questions. We're going to have to warm up a bit this morning because you're going to need this a little bit later. So can you, after me, repeat what I do? Whoop, whoop. Not a bad warm up. Let's try it again. Whoop, whoop. All right. Keep that in mind for a little bit later. You're going to have to use that. Well, it's going to be optional, but I believe you're going to want to use that. So we are in our final week of our series titled Flourishing. It's been a great series. Um, in the past three weeks, we've been going through the first sentence in our vision statement, to be flourishing communities of hope. And what it means to be that as the Kerry Church. What does it mean and look like to be flourishing communities of hope? Week one. Pastor Dave Scaife, you saw him this morning, did our child dedications. Uh, he spoke about the meaning of flourishing and how when we are flourishing, we are developing rapidly and successfully. We are thriving. That to flourish is to grow exuberantly and vigorously, to prosper, to yield abundantly and to succeed. That is flourishing. Week two, Dr. Brian Harris, also on the stage this morning with his new book, um, Our Pastor at Large. He looked at the first two words, to be, and how if we want to be something, in this case, flourishing communities of hope, we need to know where we have come from and who we are, and that actually we are a part of a family that is currently 2.3 billion big. Uh, and as he alluded to this morning, it has both strengths and weaknesses. Last week, Yvette Cherry, uh, also her message was on 98.5 this morning, sounded pretty awesome. Uh, she's the BCWA Women's Leadership Pastor and one of our very loved Kerry family. She spoke to us about how sometimes we suffer from fundamental attribution error and how as varying communities who love Jesus, we need to believe the best in others and be united through our love for God. At least that's what I got out of it. Now, of course, you can check out each of these messages on our YouTube channel or our website. But this morning, we are looking at the last two words in our vision statement, to be flourishing communities of hope, of hope. And I would like to propose that to be flourishing communities of hope, we need to not only be a community of believers who have hope, but we also need to be a community who gives hope. I think that's what it looks like to be a flourishing community of hope. We both have hope and we give hope to others. Because hope is not only important to us as believers, it's so important to all humanity. Because without hope, we have no reason to keep going. Without hope, it is impossible to see past our current circumstances. And so I'm thinking that not only do we need to have hope, but we need our community to share in this hope too because without it, we are hopeless. So what is this hope that we are talking about? Are we hoping that our football team wins? 
Well, sometimes, but that is hope in something temporary and will more likely let you down, more times than not. Uh, are we hoping that we win the lotto? Probably, but again, that is hoping for something that is temporary and will also likely disappoint. I don't know why I haven't won yet. Apparently, you need to buy a ticket. So <laughs> that would be a misappointed hope. Uh, young people, are we hoping that that cute boy or girl will ask you out? I can assure you the parents over here are hoping that does not happen. But you may be hoping that, that it does. But really, there isn't any certainty that they are going to do that. And if they do, the relationship might not even last. Maybe I'm being a little bit pessimistic, but the point is we are not talking about putting our hope in external, temporary things of this world that are either uncertain, will let us down, or will disappoint. Instead, we are talking about having hope in something that is eternal, a hope that is within us, a hope that God has put in there. As believers, what we put our hope in is God. We have the hope that God is always with us. He is always watching out for us. And because of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross, though we know that this life is only temporary, we actually have an eternal life with God to look forward to. That is our hope, that there is more than what we see in the here and now, more to life than what we know, that with God there are amazing things still to come. And if we grasp onto that hope and truly believe it, our lives would look radically different compared to those who don't share in this hope. Now let me give you two reasons to explain why our lives would look different. Firstly, if we know that God is with us and everything works together for God's purposes, then we would live a life without fear. Because we know that God's got our back, right? We know that if God is for us, then no one can stand against us. And secondly, if we know that because of Jesus, we will have eternal life with God, then we won't hold so dearly to the things of this world and we will, we will live life with more freedom and less bondage. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to live a life without fear and bondage. Anyone else want freedom this morning? Yeah, <laughs> thank you. If you want freedom this morning, give me a whoop whoop. Yeah, okay. If you really want freedom this morning, give me a whoop whoop. You, you guys are getting there. We'll have you whoop whooping all over the place. That sounds bad. Cut that out. <laughs> That's terrible. But I think people in our community would want this hope too. Do you agree? I really do. Too many people live in fear of life, of the unknown, and they live in bondage, being a slave to wanting more stuff, being a slave to bad relationships, being a slave to a purposeless life. We live in a world that has mostly lost hope. So many people around us experience the feeling of hopelessness on a daily basis. And that just really breaks my heart. And so to be flourishing communities of hope, we need to both have hope and we need to give hope to others because people have actually been robbed of their hope. How have they been robbed? because they've actually been discouraged. Anyone here ever been discouraged? You don't need to whoop whoop that, just a 
raise of hands, that's fine. Yeah, most of us have been discouraged. I'd actually even say all of us have been discouraged at least once in our life. Discouragement is actually the enemy of hope. And the problem with discouragement is that every single person at one point in their life or another will have to bounce back from it. If you have a look at people's stories in the Bible, every one of them had to bounce back from some type of discouragement. Now, perhaps as I give you some examples this morning, you can mentally make a list of any of the discouragements that you're going through right now or you've been through before. So let's start with Moses. Everyone knows Moses. He had to bounce back from failure. Anyone experienced failure? Most of us at one point. Moses also had to bounce back from the lack of encouragement from the people who were following him. John had to bounce back from rejection from a Christian leader. Nehemiah had to bounce back from discouragement from his circumstances. Peter, well, he was discouraged by himself. Uh, even Jesus could have been discouraged by other people, like when his disciples let him down. You know, they fell asleep when he asked them to pray with him. Joseph had to bounce back from mistreatment from a dysfunctional family. Anyone in here know what that's like? He had to bounce back and not let his dysfunctional past limit his future, and hope did that for him. Elijah had to bounce back from personal criticism. He ends up taking on 400 prophets of Baal, right? He wipes them all out, but criticism from one woman makes him hide in a cave. 400 reasons to be encouraged, but criticism from one person and he falls in a heap. And you look at these great men and women of God and they have all had to bounce back from something. Lazarus, he had to bounce back from being dead. All right, so if you thought you were going through something tough, just think of poor Lazarus today. You know, the problem with discouragement is it's something we've all got to bounce back from. Another thing about discouragement is that it's powerful. Now, let me give you four facts about discouragement. First, it's a universal disease. We all get it. Second, it's a repeating disease. You can catch it more than once. Third, it's a contagious disease. You can catch discouragement from people and circumstances around you. And now here's the real problem, number four. Discouragement is deadly. It can actually wreck your life, it can ruin your relationships, and discouragement always comes before destruction. Almost everything I've seen be destroyed happened because of discouragement. Every marriage that has been destroyed, discouragement preceded that. Nobody ever goes, man, I'm so in love with my wife, I think I'm gonna go get a divorce. It just doesn't happen like that. Yeah, they, they don't do that. Discouragement precedes it. There's a loss of hope that it can ever get better. Every teenager who has ever walked away from God, it was preceded by discouragement. Every kid who dropped out of school, it was preceded by discouragement. Discouragement always comes before destruction. Discouragement is not something that you want, but the chances of being discouraged in life are, if we are honest, it's inevitable. So how do we bounce back from it? How do we replace this discouragement with hope so that we can be flourishing communities of hope? Well, the story of Nehemiah is a great example from the Bible that talks about replacing discouragement with hope. And I need to give you the setting for this because you won't understand the verse that we're gonna look at without it. So this is gonna be a one minute Old Testament history, okay? Everyone ready? Yeah, you're thrilled, I can tell. Oh, great, Old Testament history, here we go. No, whoop, whoop, 
Thank you, Ben. You're amazing. This is good. All right. One minute. So God's people were in a united kingdom. They, for various reasons, divided. Ten of the tribes went north. Two of the tribes went to the south. The two tribes that went to the south formed the nation of Judah, and their capital was Jerusalem. In 606 BC, Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon, over in the east, comes over and attacks Jerusalem, and he breaks down the wall of protection around the city. He invades. He takes all of God's people uh, captive, and he hauls them back over to Babylon. They're held in captivity for 70 long years. The Bible calls that the exile. Now, at the end of 70 years, the Babylonians come in and they say, hey, thanks for coming. It's been great having you here. You can all go home. And so they start going back to Jerusalem in three ways. The first way was led by a guy named Zerubbabel. Now, Zerubbabel takes a group of people back to Jerusalem, and the first thing they should have done when they got back there was rebuild the wall of protection around Jerusalem. But they didn't, and it stayed in shambles. Ezra, about 50 to 60 years later, moves back with a second wave of people. And again, they fail to get the wall of protection built around the city. Now, it's 92 years later, 92 years of failure, 92 years of living in the rubble, 92 years of discouragement, and 92 years of living in fear. It is 92 years later, and Nehemiah's brothers had visited Jerusalem. Uh, they arrive back to Susa, where Nehemiah is, and he asks, hey, how's it going in Jerusalem? How's everybody going? And they say, man, it's in bad shape. It's a mess. The wall still lies in rubble. Now, this troubles Nehemiah, and he organizes to go back to Jerusalem. And when he gets there, he addresses the people, and he says, Nehemiah 2.17, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lays in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Now, Nehemiah doesn't try to minimize how discouraging these circumstances are, right? But then he says, come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. Now, some of you, you know this story. For 92 years, the people had been saying that the wall could never be rebuilt. They had discouragement after discouragement. And this may be where you are right now. You've had discouragement after discouragement in your life. But watch this. Nehemiah comes along. One guy with hope arrives at the situation. And 52 days later, they get a wall built that people said for 92 years couldn't happen. What was the difference? Well, this one guy had hope while everyone else was stuck in discouragement. So how do we move out of discouragement and become filled with hope? How do we be a flourishing community of hope and move to the point where because of our hope, other people see things in their life and are also filled with hope, just like Nehemiah did? Well, that's what we're going to explore. When we look at the book of Nehemiah, four things keep surfacing that are essential for hope. The first one is this. We start by refreshing our spirit. The starting point for moving away from discouragement and fear and bondage and depression and to living with hope, it's all about recharging the batteries and recharging your spirit. But you can't recharge your spirit without God. It's actually impossible without God. Now, we find Nehemiah at the start of chapter 1 in deep discouragement about the condition of Jerusalem's wall. But he doesn't stay there. Now check this out. This is Nehemiah telling his story. It says, When I heard these things, 
I sat down and wept. Then it gets worse. For some days, I mourned. It doesn't look like this guy's going to bounce back, right, from his discouragement, but watch this. It says, I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And watch this, his eyes get off of the circumstances and back onto God and he starts saying, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commands. And right there, Nehemiah's eyes get off of his circumstances and back onto God and his spirit goes with him and his spirit is being refilled. He becomes filled with this hope and there was no going back after that. The people of Jerusalem weren't going back after that because the hope that was in Nehemiah was caught by the people of Jerusalem and they built the wall. Hope will do that. First essential thing to do for hope is refresh your spirit. The second one is to focus and rely on God. Now, let me ask you a really important question. Who here has ever been to Disneyland? Whoop, whoop. <laughs> yeah, quite a few of you. That's really awesome. Um, <clears throat> it wasn't really an important question, but uh, in 2011, our family were incredibly blessed to go on a bit of travel around the world. And within five months, we had actually been to Disneyland Hong Kong, Disneyland Paris, and the Disneyland that's in Anaheim, California. And can I say, it was magical and all the things that you would ever expect Disney to be. But something a lot of people don't know about Walt Disney, you know, the, the creator of all the Disney stuff, um, is that according to his daughter, Diane, who actually wrote a biography about her dad, he just wanted, he, he was just a normal dad. And she said, as a matter of fact, he tried to be as normal as you could be for being Walt Disney. I would come home from school, he'd do my homework with me, he took me to school every day, he was just a normal dad. Now, she said that when she was five years old and went to kindergarten, she had no idea who her dad was. But it was on her first day at kindy that she actually discovered who he was. She said, I sat in the middle of the room. All the students were introducing themselves. They got to me and I said, well, my name is Diane Disney. The whole class went crazy. The teacher quieted them down and uh, she said that she almost started crying. Um, and she asked, is something wrong? And the teacher said, no, everybody is just excited. Honey, say your name again. My name is Diane Disney. The whole class goes crazy again. She said, well, honey, I think I can tell you why the students are all excited, but what is your dad's name? My dad's name is Walter. The class goes crazy again. The teacher looked at her and said, let me tell you why everybody is excited. Your dad is Walt Disney. She said, yeah. Walter Disney. She said, no, your dad is Walt Disney. Disneyland, Disney, Mickey Mouse Club, Disney. That's your dad. She had no idea. She said, I went home that day. My dad was sitting in a chair reading a newspaper. I walked up to my dad, tore the newspaper out of his hands, put my little hands on my little hips, stared right at him and said, you never told me you were Walt Disney. And then she said, I walked around days for a month stunned by who my father was. Shouldn't that be us? And most of us are walking around depressed by our circumstances and despondent about the future. And Nehemiah, well, he starts there, but he doesn't stay there. 
And through his prayer life and through his focus on God, he gets his eyes back onto God and he ends up being stunned by who his father is. It's one of the great things that I love about a worship service, about our church service. It gets our eyes off of ourselves, back onto God and who he really is. A God who loves you, who is making a difference in people's lives. A God who is giving his people hope. And I believe that some of you, you're going to be walking around in a daze for a week, stunned by who your heavenly father is, when you focus on God and you realize who your father is and you start relying on him. Your hope level's going to go up and everything else is going to spill out of that. So the first thing is to refresh your spirit. Second, focus and rely on God. And a sign that you're relying on God is this, you get back to work. I love what happens in Nehemiah chapter two, and you may have experienced this in your life. When you start relying on God and doing some new things, you're gonna end up getting some opposition. That's not the good bit. The people of Jerusalem start rebuilding the wall, and it's no surprise that not everybody is thrilled. But Nehemiah 2, 19, 20. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard it, they mocked us and despised us and said, what is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Now here's Nehemiah's great answer. So I answered them and said this to them, the God of heaven will give us success. We, are his, serv- we his servants will arise and build. The God of heaven will give us success. We his servants will arise and build, and they got back to work, and they got back to building the wall. Could it be this morning that God is calling you to do something? God is calling you to start something. God is calling you to change something. God's calling some of you to give something significant, and you're a little afraid to give it, or start it, or serve there, because you're afraid of the opposition. You're afraid of the unknown, or you're afraid of what people might think. If we let fear and discouragement tie us up and bind us, we will miss out on seeing the wall being built. We will miss out on the breakthrough in our life. We will miss out on receiving the blessing that God has for us. We'll miss out on living a life with hope. Now, I love this phrase we see in Nehemiah 4.21. When they got discouraged, when they were afraid, it says that they continued to work. Now, sometimes we just need to roll up our sleeves and we just need to get back to work. We need to go back to work on our marriage, back to work in your church, back to tithing, back to giving, back to a connect group. Go back to that kind of stuff and watch God work. Refresh your spirit. Focus and rely on God. Get back to work, even when it's scary. And the last thing that Nehemiah did was this. He refused to give up. I love this. At one point, they actually quit building the wall. They got so discouraged. So Nehemiah rallies them back together with these words, and he says, After I looked things over, I stood up and I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. And then I love what he adds next. He says, First of all, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Remember the Lord. And then the second thing he says is, and fight for your brothers. In other words, remember there are some things worth fighting for. And he says, fight for your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. He says, refuse to give up. Remember the Lord and remember there are some things worth fighting for. Now church, I don't know about you, but I want this hope. I want my kids to live 
with hope. I want my family, my friends and my community to find this hope that I have and I'm sure is your hope too. You know, this is one of my favourite stories about this kind of hope and bouncing back from discouragement. They had been in failure for 92 years, but they didn't stay there. They bounced back. And some of you today are going, this year has not been a good year. Can I bounce back? Is there hope? Can my marriage bounce back? Can my teenagers bounce back? Can my ministry bounce back? Can my connect group bounce back? Can my business bounce back? I lost my home. I lost my job. I've lost a marriage. Can I bounce back? And I want to say, whatever your circumstances, yes, you can. Ask God to refresh your spirit. That may mean asking Him to be your Lord and Savior for the very first time today. It may mean rededicating your life to God again and asking for a fresh revelation of who He is. You need to refocus and rely on God. Take your eyes off the circumstances that are discouraging you and seek God. Pray, read His Word, worship Him with His people at church. Focus on the great things that God is doing in your life. Then get back to doing those things that you should be doing. You have stopped them because of discouragement or fear, but now is the time to get back on the horse and finish what God has given you to do. And don't give up. If you feel like it's failed, if you have lost hope, start again at number one and work your way through. God has given us the greatest hope through His Son, Jesus Christ, and it's worth fighting for. So get back up. The game isn't over. And through your hope, give someone around you hope too. And as we be a people of hope together, we'll continue to be flourishing communities.